What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Joe Kilgallen Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen. If you're checking out this podcast for the very first time, welcome. Welcome aboard. This podcast is where awesome people talk about awesome things. And you could follow us, follow me on Twitter. That's at Joe Kilgallen. Also, I've got a Patreon in which I've also putting up exclusive stand-up comedy content. I just put up a 15-minute set I did two weeks ago at the Laugh Factory. So you'll be able to see some of the early stages of some what's going to be probably the next hour. A lot of new jokes on there. If you subscribe to the YouTube, I appreciate you. Welcome aboard. Today's episode is going to be a fun one. Uh, I've got one of my favorite human beings on the planet. He has his own amazing podcast, the best panel podcast in all of the land. It's called Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. He's got the best comedians in the world. And they do like a, it's panel style. So you get four or five of the best comedians in the world all together under the Brido umbrella, as I like to call it. He is a hilarious stand-up comedian. He's been on Comedy Central. He's been on the Eric Andre show. Without further ado, let's bring on the one and only Mike Bridenstein. What up, Brido? Thank you for having me under the Kilgallen umbrella. I like the umbrellas. I like I like what you're doing. You like what I put on there? I, I yeah. even, it wasn't planned. I just said umbrella. It's an underrated word. You know why I love you, Joe? Because I am from Eastern Iowa, and I don't have a choice. Eastern Iowa, fun fact, loves Joe Kilgallen. They do. They do. So let me give a shout out to that right away. Shout out to Club 400, which is a Cubs charity. Cubs fans helping Cubs fans. As all of you know who listen to this podcast, I'm active in the Cubs community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was the yeah. former host now of Locked on Cubs. I've also done a baseball podcast. I used to do a bridal called Community Talking Baseball. I've been on a million baseball podcasts, and I got to MC an event for Riker Cologne, who's a great young man who's uh, got a very rare disease, and we were raising some money for him and his wonderful family. Shout out to Eddie Cologne and everyone. I met the whole Cologne clan and a lot of people who knew Mike Bridenstine because they're from Muscatine, Eastern Iowa, and yeah. uh, some really good people. And yeah, Stu McVicker, who's like the head of Club 400, and uh, so many names. Ryan Dempster was the man of the evening. He was like, we did a QA I got to host with Ryan Dempster. and. They raised all this money. It raised over $30,000. Dude, it was crazy how much money they raised. Uh, it's just so many wonderful people I met. And it was a really, really cool event that I paid for the next day by being <laughs> utterly hungover. Um, I think I'm retired. I know, Brado, you took the big step a couple, like what, four or five years ago now, in which you don't drink alcohol anymore. I'm going to slightly join you in that I'm not doing shots anymore. I think I'm go. at the age where no more shots. I always say this, it's I stole the line from Mace and he didn't mean it about beers, but never been arrested for nothing domestic. If you apply that to beer, you're fine. I like that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, keep it <laughs> keep it local and you'll be okay. Never yeah. been arrested for nothing domestic. I love Mace. Mace was underrated. What happened to him and Puff Daddy? I think that he became a minister. I mean, I think that he just loves God. I think that he Yeah. He'd been around the world and he'd been player yeah, hating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he got spooked. Uh, rappers were getting shot in the streets by Suge Knight. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to go uh, preach the gospel. I don't know. Well, you know what? Hey, he had a good career. He had some fun, fun songs. Uh, well, we're going to get into some music at the end of this podcast, everyone, because Rolling Stone released their top 500 songs. And whenever Rolling Stone magazine does a list of anything, it is inevitably going to cause some uh, some controversy. Some people being like, no way. So we'll get all to that. But the breaking news 
of the last 24 to 48 hours, depending on when you hear this, mm. is that comedian Norm MacDonald passed away after a near decades long battle with cancer. I, I, we don't know what type of cancer. We, nobody knew he had cancer. He kept it very close to the chest. Only a, a handful of people apparently knew about it. So it really did shock everybody. It was a pretty devastating thing to find out. Um, and what a great comedian. And, and, and Brido, yeah. you have one of the best stories ever that Tom Segura has already been pumping out there. So anyone listening to this has probably already heard the story now. I think the clip's going viral on Instagram. I got a thousand follows in the past day. Like, um, because awesome. Tom, you deserve it. <laughs> Tom uh, told everybody to, to look for my story about him. So I got, I dropped everything I was doing and reposted it. And before it's, you get to the story, can I just cut you off one split second? Yeah, sure, sure. And I will not do that again the rest of the podcast. No, you're fine. But this is something that I might forget. And I don't want to forget. And I know you and I are big believers in this because we text each other like all the time about how people need to talk about, talk more about the things they love and like and then the stuff they hate. And while it's on the top of my head, I've never met Tom Segura. I've never met the guy. Uh, I'm a big fan of what he does though, as a comedian on stage, but also a bigger fan of what he does off stage and not just with the podcast he does, but he was one of the first comedians a few years ago now before the pandemic who talked about how it's insane that the pay for the opening act and the features at comedy clubs has stayed essentially the same for 30 years. Yeah. 50 bucks advocated. for a feature. Like you know. it's a hundred dollars for a fee. like a list clubs. It's a hundred bucks for the middle act. Everybody. When you go to a typical comedy club that, that has the three act structure, the host slash MC, the middle act, meaning your featured act. And then the headliner, that's the three act structure. The middle gets a hundred bucks, which if you're doing six shows over a weekend, it's like 600 bucks. Yeah. You know, but still it's underpaid. And the MC gets like 50 bucks. I think New when York. Why did I, pays did I say better. 50? I, I don't know why I said 50. I meant, I meant, cause I know that I, most of the time my ticket would cost 600 bucks and then I would make 600 for the weekend. I'd be like, well, I'm breaking even to go open for this guy. You know? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Your, your airline ticket was 600. So yeah. So it's like you, you can sell merch. Yeah, no, it's a tough, it's a tough racket, but he was one of the first comedians or the first comedian I remember that brought this to the attention of fans and people across Twitter. I remember seeing him have a series of tweets saying like, it's crazy that that yeah. pay has stayed the same for decades now. It should be way better. And I just, I see him as a guy that gives back a lot to comedians and has no problem putting other comedians over. And it seems simple enough to people listening where it's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? You'd be surprised how many people who should be doing more of that are not yeah. and and some people i feel like kind of go out of their way not to in a sense um, sure it's it's um i don't want to seem like i'm subtweeting anybody but you know the comedians who try to make their friends successful because they're the comedians who have a bunch of successful friends yeah and the ones who don't don't all you have to do is look at like tiffany haddish She's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a show and hook up the people who I feel like could use a push right now. Which is so awesome of her. Right. And there's like, but not everybody does that. Would I do that? Absolutely not. No, I would. But <laughs> like, you know, that you can tell which ones like hook up their friends. And Tom is definitely a person who, and also it's like amazing. He has like 1.6 million followers on instagram he can casually mention me in a four minute 
post about Norm Macdonald and say, like, go to his page, and I can get 40,000 um, or whatever it's at, like, views in, like, a day and, like, a 1,000 new followers just because he, like, tossed my name out like that? Like, there is – there's power in having, like, in, in uh, a platform like that. And I would like to think that I would – do the same thing if like throw people's names out and say like you should check out this person and because they will listen to whatever he says basically you know what i mean yeah well because he's built up a trust with his audience his audience trusts that if tom is endorsing something or someone like you it's probably pretty good so i imagine they're gonna be checking out your podcast and i hope they love it as as much as uh, i like being on and i like listening to it i'm I'm, uh kind of gonna be think it's hilarious when i just start losing people like at a rapid rate but we'll see Oh, they know that'll probably happen too. Some of the people will be like, oh, I'm going to follow this guy. And then after X amount of days, they might be like, ah, not for me. And then who gives a shit though? But you know, I don't think that's a big deal. So no, much. I, no, no. I, yeah. better, to, better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. There you go. It's better to have gotten a thousand new followers and maintain 800 or whatever it's going to be. Um, I've seen that happen. It's just, it's funny to all the non-comedians listening, which I hope is most of you. Um, we're weirdos. Us comedians are weird. I, I've discovered, I, I don't really go on Facebook much, but I will no. occasionally I'll check Facebook memories. Mm. And, you know, so you'll see something from eight years ago and I'm like, oh man, that was a big argument. And then it's, <laughs> it's got 120 comments and I'll start reading some of the comments. I'm like, whatever happened to him? Whatever happened to her? And I'll click on these people and I'm like, I'm not friends with them anymore. What the hell did I do? Where yeah. they unfriended me on Facebook. You know what? Fuck them. I want to friend request them and unfriend request them back. You know, because I want that kind of sweet revenge. <laughs> yeah, I think that you've earned it. I think that you should get sweet revenge on people. Speaking of sweet revenge, I started watching. Norm you want to talk about? Dirty oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I started watching oh, Dirty Work by Norm Macdonald earlier. I had to pause it to do this podcast. Oh, I'm Tom Scare talked about a great story that he had heard from you that you got to witness live. It's so many people are sharing their great Norm Macdonald stories, and it's so many, and I want to hear them all. Because it's it's sad that he's gone, and he was so damn funny, and it's nice to revisit all these amazing stories. So I was 17. It was 1997, and I think it it's possible I was 18, whatever. I'm a teenager. I'm still in high school. It's 1997, and Iowa City, the place where the University of Iowa is, it's not the Iowa State Fair, as Tom said in the thing, and a lot of people are reposting. It's not the Iowa State Fair. It's Iowa City. They they had a thing at Hancher Auditorium, which uh, is where they would have, like, touring plays and, like, musicals. And it's a big, fancy – the fanciest auditorium, like, on, in Iowa City. It's for cats and rent and various things like that. And they had an event called Family Night at Hancher presents Saturday Night Live. So it was comedy sports opening or whatever the equivalent of that was. Uh, then Daryl Hammond doing his Bill Clinton stuff. Then Jim Brewer kind of got a little bit edgy, talked about booze. And then Norm MacDonald closed the show in this 2,000-seat theater filled with old people and little kids and people there with their families. And the first joke, Norm 
tells as he walks out and I say in the thing, and I'll say it to you again, like I don't do an impression of Norm, but he says, uh, like, I used to be married and I used to jack off to porn more than I fuck my wife. <laughs> I saw this one porn is a, a, a beautiful woman gets fucked by a pig. And like, people are like, lining out like they said in the paper the next day he walked 80 percent of the of the thing and he says like hey, you imagine you, you see that woman and you ask her out on a date she says no and she fucks pigs for a living people just like fucking streaming out of there he's like now imagine uh you're that pig and you're the fuck a beautiful woman and the doctor says cut you gotta Go back to fucking your big fat pig wife. <laughs> like in the, the the newspapers in Iowa the next day, there were political cartoons where he has like a shepherd's hook around his neck. Uh, he had a political cartoon. Uh, or sorry, there's a he got disinvited from a golf outing the next day. And this was like 97. So in 2017, they did the 20 year anniversary thing for it. And this reporter from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, it's still online. People have sent me the article. Like, you know, people are talking about this thing. I'm quoted in the thing that that are talking about it. Like Tom's uh, described it as like they were talking about a war. But yeah, they're talking about like this night. Like it was like this traumatic thing. And my mom was like, I she texted me or was messaging me about it because she's like, and I messaged all those boys like my high school friends that I went with, I went with my mom and like two high school friends. My mom was like, and I messaged their mothers afterwards to let them know that they were going to hear some things. And that, but I was like, um, chaperoning. It was, uh, it was considered like a pretty big deal. At least it was in my little world as a teenager, you know, who I loved Norm. Oh, and then like, this is like 97. And so the internet is just garbage at this point. But I went yeah, to like, I went to like a Norm Macdonald fan page and people were like, we heard about this thing. Was anybody there? And so like I felt so cool being like I was there. And so I scanned in my program and like all the stuff that I had. And the guy was like, big thanks to Mike in Iowa for sending me this stuff. And I felt so cool that I got like a shout out on this Norm Macdonald like Angel Fire page. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Way back, man. That's that's a great joke, by the way. Though, what an awesome I mean, joke! It's, and it's the first stand-up show. I don't know if I mentioned this. It's the first show I ever went to. And so, there's no YouTube or anything, so all I can see of stand-up is late night sets, Comedy Central, and then like buying an album every now and then, which was always just pure filth to my ears. Like you get like a Martin Lawrence tape. Or like oh, yeah. an Adam Sandler CD. It's just like, wow, they're so dirty. So I I just assumed that if you go to these things, like they're just the filthiest fucking things ever. I thought comedy it was amazing. In the 90s, album comedy in the 90s was a lot of sketch. Like Sandler was, it was sketch more than stand up. Like the more popular things I recall. And you would think that as influential as Sandler was, more people would have done sketch albums. But the only people doing sketches on albums are fucking rappers. Yeah, Eminem. Yeah, Kanye. Ken Kniff. Um, that was like the Eminem album. I remember he was like, "I'm Ken Kniff." Like he had a weird voice. I can't do the voice. Sorry, everyone, you had to deal with that. But holy shit, though, your first stand-up experience ever. 
<laughs> the yeah. audience were running for the doors. Did that make you go, I want to be a stand-up comedian? It felt like such an outlaw type of thing. I think that I always wanted to, or always wondered if I could, but it just, where would you do it? You know, like, yeah. where? because like I talked to people from Chicago, I, I'm talking to you about this tomorrow on my own show, but like, like I'm picturing like Josh Cheney and different people who grew up in Chicago who knew that as soon as they were turning 21, that they wanted to do stand up, and they knew where to do it. I had no, I had none of that in Muscatine, Iowa. And then in Iowa City, there was not, there was no comedy scene in Iowa City, like at the University of Iowa. So it's like, there's literally one place that has a comedy night when I'm like a junior and I'm like, if that host graduates, then I might ask if I can do it. That's how yeah. it fucking started. You know, that's interesting because I mean, I, I've heard that enough, but I was reading a Norm MacDonald article this morning. Uh, it was an interview that he did and he was talking about just coming up as a stand-up and why he thought Canadian comedians were so good because the way we think Chicago comedians are better than New York and LA in a lot of sense, like where you start off at is like, you start off in Chicago, you kind of have an edge because there was no industry in Canada. He's like, none of us mm. thought we'd be on TV or anything like that or write for shows or, or whatever we had. No, we just want to be the funniest stamps we could be. Cause there really wasn't a scene where he was. And then he, you know, obviously went down to Toronto and stuff like that. and do yuck yucks and all those clubs. Or was it Edmonton? I can't remember what city. Um, and then he went to, you know, obviously New York and LA and all that stuff. But like, it's, it's, it's crazy that when there isn't anything there, your expectations are so low. Your environment really matters so much. That's why I fight. I think me and you texted about this. I mean, we're getting a little off gears here, but when people talk about Hollywood nepotism being a problem, I think, I don't think it's any bigger problem is like nepotism in the plumbers union. I think it's your environment. If your parents are Hollywood famous or not even famous, but work in Hollywood, you grew up thinking I could do that too. Right. But if you grew up in a blue collar neighborhood, like my, that I grew up in like real working class and you tell your friends, I want to act one day. They'll all be like, Oh, Killian wants to fuck people's dads. Like they'll think you're like <laughs> a pussy. They'll think you're like a little bitch. No. Cause nobody does that. That's just not <clears throat> the world. It's not your environment. Yeah. For And also it's like, you're telling them I want to raise above my station and I feel that I am more talented than the rest of you in a way. Very true. Yeah. You kind of give that off, but um, yeah. So you grew up in Iowa. You're like, I don't think this is a thing you could do, but I'm sure seeing Norm that night made you think, damn, that dude literally said whatever the hell he wanted. How cool was that? <laughs> it, there was something very awesome about it. And it, it, it was also a lesson to me that you can be awesome at something and have 80% of the people hate it. Yeah. Like, um, I don't remember thinking anything bad about it. I thought it was cool from start to finish. And the fact that my mom was, like, freaked out about it was probably helpful. Yeah, you, that's you true. Know, like, if my mom was like, I love I remember when my mom was like, I kind of like this song. Who is it? And it was Pearl Jam. And I was like, shut up. Like, you're not allowed to like, because <laughs> she used to do this thing where she'd be like, I'd be listening to like a uh, Nirvana album. And she'd be like, ah, you better take this back to the store. I think it's broken. Like, and that was like her joke, but I loved it because I didn't want, you don't want your mom to like the, the music that you're into or it's like whack. Um, but in the, in Tom's thing, when he was talking about the story that I loved that I, I've thought about a lot in the past couple since yesterday was um 
how the comedians deferred to him. Some of the biggest, like SNL produces, obviously, the some of the biggest comedy stars in the world and how people like Sandler and Rock and whoever else, like um, I'm sure Conan also would defer to him in comedic situations because they didn't care who the biggest box office star was. They knew that he was the fucking funniest dude. Yeah. And, it, and so many like great people mentioned like turd Ferguson, <laughs> which is oh, so those were great. The best. All the Jeopardy stuff, the Jeopardy stuff, the Conan couches when he, he rips on the, the, the woman from Melrose Place, I want to Courtney say. Courtney Thorne Smith was, yeah, she was plugging a movie and he just could not stop trashing what the movie Chairman of the board, yeah, yeah, yeah. His carrot top was in it too. Yeah, and all the, yeah. it, it was so funny. And the moth story, like, yeah, they're, oh they're just my legendary. God. Just, he had such a great style. I love Norm MacDonald's style because I don't know, I, I'm very comfortable on stage, but every now and then I think to myself, if there's a little bit of too much quiet, I since my i'm like one of those drummers yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. will just speed it up sometimes when it's like got a <laughs> damn beat yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and i feel myself like if it's not going exactly the way it should yeah you know where i'm like oh these jokes aren't hitting the way they should i'll, I'll catch myself speeding up my delivery a little bit because i really want to grab them and, yeah, and, yeah. and it works a lot of times but when i listen to the playback i'm like oh man but then i see norm and that dude could just calmly sit in it knowing that the punchline is going to do what the punchline is supposed to do. Um, just, yeah, dry, I guess you'd use the word. But I, I, the word dry, sometimes I feel like people use like, oh, real dry wit. I'm like, dry is great. I, I'm a fan of a dry wit. Yeah, he didn't look like he was selling you anything. That's, yeah. dry. That's dry. Good call. Like, so what's interesting is that comedians loved when he would bomb and i don't know what that is because like obviously like we all like the funniest people they're like killer motherfuckers but also there's a part of us that knows that it's not a meritocracy that sometimes shitty awful people kill the hardest or are the most popular and that the shit that we like uh is watching those people confidently bomb and make those audience members suffer. <laughs> I don't know why we like that. Yeah, I don't know why we do either. Yeah, every, any everyone listening, next time you're at a comedy club, like a one, preferably one that does like showcase style. But you know, for any comedy show where there's like five or six comedians go up, if one is kind of eating shit, you're going to hear people in the back of the room laughing, <laughs> and it's usually the other comedians. And we, I get a kick out of it sometimes. Um, seen like people you know are good struggle too for whatever oh, reason especially if it's a comic that everybody likes that the comics like and yeah. they see you bombing and also it, it it means a lot of things if your buddy is bombing on stage and you're dying in the back it's because you you're like with them you know what i mean like that's yeah. also like they're not laughing at you you know what i mean that's your friend who's dying laughing or sometimes it's because we gave them like a tip where it's like, hey, I think you should say this part of the joke here. And they do that and eat shit. And you're just in the back like, you fucking listen to me, you piece of shit. Why would you listen to me? <laughs> Stuff like that is hilarious. Um, yeah, Dude, I, I love that you brought up how all of those amazing comedians, whenever it was something funny, they were like, well, it's, you know, Norm's the funniest here. I kind of, I, I always appreciate that stuff because 
I feel like the general populace doesn't always get that. I think they sometimes think to themselves, oh, the most famous person's the best at a thing. And I mean, not a lot of people, most people are kind of cool enough to get it. But, you know, there are some people out there who don't understand that. It's like, no, trust me, this person knows that they're not the best in the room. They know that this person is better Mm -hmm. than them or whatever. And it's not even like about that always. But I saw someone shared a picture of Chappelle and norm mcdonald and Chappelle had a look on his face like i get to be in a picture of norm mcdonald like he his face was lit up was don't get me high. wrong Chappelle Chappelle is the shit like don't get no, me I wrong i love Chappelle. i think Chappelle's on my mount rushmore and sometimes uh sometimes the most popular people you have a picture of richard Pryor behind you i mean who's better than that guy but it's but at the same time there's also the mcdonald's factor which is you know billion serve but not the best restaurant you know true true yeah uh, Derek Jeter's not the best baseball player that's ever fucking but he's to. probably the most famous of the last four, 35 years yeah probably right surrounded I mean, by baseball guys so surrounded by a good team but I mean he's yeah. a hall of fame but uh it's more of like a restaurant analogy I guess than a no sports, I like the McDonald's analogy. one because yeah like, look, right now, The Rock and Kevin Hart are the biggest box office superstars. So they're McDonald's. And, and they're Rock's good. Not the, be- the Rock's not the best actor in the world. No, he's not the best actor in the world. That That's kind of the point I was going with that, right? And, and Kevin yeah. Hart's not the best stand-up in the world. Either We're not Joe saying that Rogan. They're not, yeah. yeah, they're not, not talented, and they're clearly great at what they do. Like, McDonald's serves great French fries, but it's not the best restaurant. But sometimes it's hype. Sometimes it's hype. Sometimes it's Dane Cook walking around, like... It's a bunch of people on MySpace who are big fans of a haircut and a t-shirt, and he has no fucking nobody talks about that shit anymore. Yeah, it is kind of interesting that all those people who are massive, massive Dane Cook fans, and and you're not gonna hear hear me say anything bad about Dane Cook, everybody. I met the guy a handful of times and he was so nice to me every time I met him. I did shows at the Laugh Factory with him. I'm just not referring that you're, not that to his his widespread fucking he didn't ask to be uh the biggest comic on the planet with zero jokes. He doesn't. No, up no. And way. I'm not saying you're saying anything negative about him. I just wanted to throw that out there. Cause I feel like there's so many people who dump on him or I'm like, it almost became a hack. So many people would dump on that guy. Sure. I, that, I agree. I agree. Right? I mean, That's then obviously my like, okay, Larry, Larry, the cable guy, uh, Dane cook. There is no, you're just obviously like a fucking like world-class level talent of stage presence. Something. To get them. yeah no 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 to get back on the point I don't think you were slamming them at all you were just using them as examples of people who became mega mega stars because they were able to pitch themselves to a certain part of the population and all that stuff that has nothing to do I think bringing that up is fair game because you know here we are 15 years later and nobody has either of those guys even though it's like those two dudes are probably two of the richest comedians as far as selling tickets at one point. Easily, Dan Cook and, and Larry the Cable Guy. Easily. But you ask 100 people, give me your top 10 greatest comedians of all time, and 100 people who like know a little bit about comedy, not quite random, like 100 people who know a little He's comedy. He's going to be in nobody's list. Exactly. That's like Zero the point Zero people's list. Yeah, and they probably wouldn't even be in their own list. I don't know if they would even have themselves in their own list. It goes um, me. Like uh, Dave Attell not doing Madison Square Garden. And... Who's better than David Tell? Who is better than like Hedberg? Who is better than you know? Ton. There's a ton of people 
that we could name. Like, who's funnier than fucking, I don't know, Sean Flannery? Dude, I saw CJ Sullivan. CJ Sullivan. CJ Sullivan. Last week. Doing this fucking Wizard of Oz joke. Like, are you like. <laughs> so good. It was one of the best sets I've seen in a really long time. And I'm really happy. Shout out to CJ Sullivan. Everyone, look him up. Dude, sober, looking good. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolute monster on stage. Just amazing sets. I, I yeah. saw him have when he was in Chicago last week. Uh, he's got a podcast called Visitors Locker Room. I don't know if they're doing new episodes, but there's plenty of stuff to look up. CJ Sullivan, Sean Flannery. But I mean, that's just the nature of the business and show business in general. Um, you know, getting off topic a little bit here, Addison Ray is a TikTok star with 80 million followers, and people are mad that Netflix signed her to a deal. And I'm like, I get it. Netflix is, they're trying to make money, they need eyeballs. That's what the yeah, industry yeah, needs. Yeah. It's not like if you come from a world of sports like me and you, we grew up big sports fans. Yeah. We, I think we get the most angry at times, although we're both level-headed people, I'm sure. Because <laughs> um, in our brains, it's like, no, 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 no. That that guy went four for four. The person who had three doubles and a home run, they're the ones that get talked about on the sports page the next day. Yeah. But in comedy, it's not like that. You could go to the greatest comedy show in the world and then the next day you're reading an article and they're like, wait a minute, how come they didn't mention Sean Flannery or CJ Sullivan or whoever? I don't I don't get it. Why are they mentioning this person who had one good joke and the rest was kind of like, eh. Yeah, there it's stand-up is interesting in that the thing that you're actually trying to be good at matters almost the least to the people who are in charge of it. The people yeah. who the gatekeepers of stand-up want you to either write or preferably be move a movie star. And if you don't really want to do either one of those things, then they have no fucking time for you. And it, and for casting purposes, like it behooves you to be whatever is sexy in terms of casting at that moment. If, if Joe was a beautiful woman, it would be a lot more benefit. Or, or if I was, if I was a beautiful man, it would be a lot more than whatever the fuck I look like and whatever Joe looks like. It's, um, it's they want you to have a cool backstory man it's, i'm getting with like a weird I, I don't want people to read into anything that I'm no saying. no i hear what you're saying but what they're doing <laughs> it's, like, the, it's also like what's in now too everything yeah, goes yeah, in yeah, waves yeah. right that's why like with music and we're going to talk about some music in a second now it's it's a thing where i was reading this thing about why 90s music was so great and i know it sounds like you know people know i'm a big 90s music fan so, but i'm not being biased it was a podcast that Friend of the podcast, Marty DeRosa, turned me on to. I can't remember the name of the podcast for the life of me, but it was a really good podcast. Some Canadian guy. And record companies, CDs had just come out in the 90s. And CDs were so cheap to make. And the profit margin on selling an album in CD form was huge. It was like $15.99 when they first came out. And it cost them a nickel to make it. So these record companies were at the richest they'd ever been. You so had to had buy CDs. You couldn't download the shit. So. Yeah, it was before download, before anything digital, and vinyl was slowly fading away. CDs were really taken over in mass, and they vinyl record... wasn't fading away. Vinyl was non-existent. You're right; it was dead. They stopped uh, making them. Tapes, and tapes, and yeah, CDs. cassette tapes. There was tapes, and there was CDs, and that was it. Because you know, there's a lot of. I've got like in utero on vinyl, their Nirvana album that was never printed originally in vinyl ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe someone had a copy of it for themselves, but like it was never sold in stores as a vinyl record. Anyhow, though, so these record companies decided that, well, we're making all this money. Let's gamble more in a sense. They were signing little bands all over the place and going, yeah, we'll make your album because it was so 
their their thought process was it costs nothing to make this if it takes off we're fucking rich so they saw every band as a lottery ticket but then when digital came in you know napster and everything streaming and you know the, the ipod and all that it made them become more conservative where they took way less risk because their profit margins were smaller and that's why i think a lot of rock and roll music at least is not at least mainstream rock i mean don't get me wrong there's still a lot of great bands all over the place but as far as what you hear on the radio goes it's just not what it was and yeah because it's like you know that's just like an industry problem right there and it's and you notice too whenever one type of band blows up all Uh, of a sudden you you hear 10 other ones that sound just like them yeah i was talking about this with a friend about like 2003 to 2007 it was fallout boy blew up then all of a sudden all american rejects came out then like you know eight other bands that sounded just like that band same with the <laughs> grunge in the 90s nirvana hit big and then it's like sign everybody out of seattle put them on the radio that's and the same thing with comedy and movies and you know yeah. if a certain look becomes in yeah you know then all of a sudden you start to see like I remember the Jesse Eisenberg, Michael Sarah type of role became real popular for hey like man, three or four years. When I moved to LA, uh Galifianakis and Seth Rogan were huge. And so people were like booking me to be that motherfucking look. So I'm not complaining about that move. That that move like saved my ass a few times. Yeah, I don't think any I, I think yeah, it's not a it's not there's not a right or wrong. It's it's just what it is. So yeah, if you're yeah, out yeah. there, listen, if you're out there and you're a young actor and you're like, when's it going to be my time? Just keep doing what you're doing. And then maybe the way you look will become a thing or, or whatever. It's, it's really, you just don't know just, what's going to become in. If just be as good as you can be for when the luck fucking points at you at dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it, I mean, there is a lot of luck to it, but yeah. you have to, you know, work too. You can't just not do any work towards that yeah you gotta have, have know, it feels like something. A, it's like yeah it's like old we're doing like fucking drunk uncle advice you create your own luck damn it but there is some truth to that you do have to get lucky in a sense but the people who usually get lucky are people who put themselves in that spot you also don't want to hear about all the shots on goal that a lot of those people take before the thing happens either yeah yeah you don't you know um but yeah i know we started this time about norm mcdonald and it's uh it's a bummer, man. I really like that guy. Um, I'm going to go back and revisit a lot of his co- comedy. It's always sad when stand-up comedians die, especially unexpected, not just because it's our world that you and I live in as comedians, but because when you think of them, you just think of so much joy and happiness and laughter. You know, um, like Robin Williams' death, I remember taking really hard. This one, it was like a real bummer. It just That like, was on my birthday. Sucks. He died on your birthday too, huh? Robin Williams died on my birthday. That was fucking crazy. Uh, the, cake? the Norm Macdonald uh, story that I love, I think the most is the pitch meetings at SNL. They would people would love when they would get to him, and I I have heard that this was also the case with Hannibal. This is what like uh, that they would just love to hear their pitches because it would be the most insane shit ever. Like he didn't know that. Like, like before the meeting, like somebody would be like, what are you going to pitch? And he'd be like, I don't have anything. Like, I don't know. I didn't know we're supposed to do this. And so it got around to him and he like, looks like he's making it up as he goes. And he goes, you know that, uh, those things on the highway that are for runaway trucks. And people are like, yeah. And he's like, okay, it's a house at the end of it. 
And this guy's like, oh no, there's all these trucks crashing into his house. And he riffed that on the spot. I think it's in like a Jay Moore book or something. That made me laugh so fucking hard the first time. Just picturing that dude riff that in the fucking setting is it was hilarious to me. You know what else he did? He came off as that I really liked about him unapologetically himself. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said earlier, he was never selling you on anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people respond to um, in a lot of ways. And it's, it's nice. It's refreshing in a world where you feel like you're always being sold to have a guy like that, that just unapologetically himself. And, and you, and when you're like that, you're going to have some people hate you, but it feels like most people, for the you know for the most part are saying really nice things i mean i'm sure there's going to be against the internet and, and who knows what not and you know uh all that kind of stuff brado's looking at me because he's like oh i think i saw some tweets you saw too oh, earlier yeah. but i sent i sent you a tweet today but yeah yeah but anyway we don't need to talk about that no um, no no we do it's unsubstantiated uh, mental illness it's what that uh, was yeah, so we're it's just one of those things where and also can i say say when people are like i hate when someone makes a death about themselves uh, sometimes people just want to say how much somebody meant to them. And it's not uh, a selfish act. It's um, an expression of grief, and there's no wrong way to grieve. And if somebody meant a lot to you, and you're expressing that in a thought online and sharing it with other people, and maybe informing them about some of the things that they should check out, I don't think that that's a selfish act. And sometimes people are just uh, fucking bozos. I agree. I agree. There's a lot. There's people I like who will make those posts where it's like, hey, celebrity death, make sure it's about you. Because people will yeah, make yeah, posts yeah. where it's like, I'll never forget the time I saw him at this place. But they're just sharing a memory. They're just sharing what, a memory. That's what wakes and funerals are. Everyone's standing around going, hey, you know what? Remember that one time? Remember that time that asshole shit his pants at, at the carnival? Like, yeah. that's that's what that is. So I don't understand why people get. Who is the, who's the, who is the death for? Norm? Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking dead. He's not. He's not here. I agree, man. I agree 100. I, I, if if nothing, you're just sharing cool shit about the person who just died. You're yeah, making you're it about choosing him shit after he dies that he can't defend himself for. That what the fuck do you get out of it? And why are you even putting that out there like it's a badge of honor? That's a whole other fucking thing. That is a good point too. I mean, you know, when someone dies and you see all of a sudden like accusations about it and all that, uh, it was funny because I remember seeing a few things where I'm like. I don't think these people realize he's dead because people were like asking for yeah. justice from, you know, and I'm like, justice, he's dead. He's, he's, ca- he's canceled. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get more canceled than dead. No. So, you know, something to think about. All right. Should we sh- let's, let's shift gears sure. ever so slightly. Um, Rolling Stone magazine put out their top 500 songs. Everyone just came out. Check it out. Go to rollingstone.com music. I don't need to plug them, but I just want, I just, <laughs> I don't know why I told you. I just want people to find the list. For some yeah, yeah, I'm, like, yeah, yeah. um, I'm going to do the whole top 20. We'll okay. do, I'll, I'll say. Do all the, 500, Joe. I'm going to do 500. But I, I like almost, I almost am a bigger fan of songs 20 to 11 than I am 10 to 1. Well, some songs are just important, right? Like, yeah, not I agree. Good. They're just important. So there's uh, number 20 is a song. I don't even know this song came out in 2010 by Robin spelled R O B Y. Oh, okay. What, what is it? on my own. Okay. So this song, I remember thinking, what the fuck is this? Never heard of it. Then it got song of the decade. 
in the 2010s because like 2019 they put out this fucking list greatest song of the decade that was number one and i'm like what is this so how's it go i don't remember but apparently it's a but it's a fucking pop song and it's been in a lot of shows and it's influenced a lot of people who also make shit like this yeah i mean swedish like dance pop music very popular so it's pretty cute in the picture it's like it's they they chose it and here's the thing like i looked up 2010 songs of the year it was like number 15 in 2010 but i guess the influence of the sometimes it's like you can't judge how good joe kilgallen is as a comedian till you see his influence on the comics that came after him which is unknowable in 2021 this is true. This is very true. All right. Let's, but no, that's a great point, though. Well, here's like a song that probably had a big influence. Number 19 is John Lennon Imagine. I think that's a fine, unquestionably great song. Yes. Very great song. Very touching. I'll, a little anecdote about this song. Bill Murray was on, I think, Charlie Rose, like early 2000s, so like a long time ago. I just happened to catch it one night or, you know, flipping through the channels late on it, maybe Tuesday was a rerun or something. And he talked about going to the like candlelight. Uh, what's the word? Visual. Is that visual? Virgil vigil vigil uh, for John Lennon. There's some words I'm like, I'm not even gonna try. I'm going to fuck it up. And uh, it was at uh, central park in New York. You know, he lived in Manhattan. That's where he was assassinated. I guess he'd used or murdered. And um, they did a moment of silence and you know, everyone in the park, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there probably got incredibly quiet for the moment of silence and then the moment of silence was broken by this song starting and this Aww. song's got that beautiful piano melody yeah and he said as soon as that started to kick in just bawling everyone just bawling yeah. their eyes everywhere he goes everywhere you look just tears streaming down people's faces and when i think of the song imagine i think of bill murray telling that story wow number 18 this is a great song purple rain by prince and the revolution that is a great song. Um, yeah, unquestionably great song. I don't know if it's better than Imagine, if I'm being honest. But Yeah, I don't know if it is either, but I'm okay with it. You know, I'm not... Some of these are, I'm not going to fight, is what my I, point is. I'd rather um, hear Purple Rain at a party and slow dance to it than Imagine. I don't know if I've ever been at a party when someone's like, put on Imagine, really get this yeah, thing that, cooking. That's an argument that some people have with they rate music. Or they rank their music, like what will get you up dancing? And I'm like, well, some songs you don't want to get up and dance to. Yeah, some songs you want true. to feel and soak yeah. in. Like uh, a Hallelujah song, like what's that? What, what are you supposed to do with that? You know, oh, Leonard Cohen. That's a, a phenomenal song. I wonder where that's on at this list. Number seventeen, Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I mean, it's a banger. That's an all-time banger. All-time banger. I want to hear it in my car. That's so fa- the, the Wayne's f- World thing. I think my favorite one, I think it's a Green Day concert in England when it's just a sea of people, like 300,000 people, and they're all singing it. Like there's footage you can watch on YouTube of just like a sea of humanity. And I think that I got goosebumps now thinking about it, but I think that in the middle of COVID, when I hadn't seen, fuck, if we know, we could be in the middle of COVID right now, but at the beginning of, in 2020, in the middle of 2020, watching that, I think it made me cry because, like, I I was so longing to just be around anybody. Yeah, and it was a bunch of people doing something at the same time, and it was so awesome that I think 
I believe that I teared up. Dude, whenever I see awesome concert footage, it's always European concert footage. Yeah, in South yeah. America. Glass and Berry. America, like, yeah. Look, we got to step it up in our concert game, man, because I feel like every time I see a concert, I'm like, damn, I want to be in that crowd. I'm like, where was this? Oh, Hamburg, Germany. Where was this? Brussels. I'm I like, don't know. You ever, seen, you ever seen Limp Biscuit do break stuff at Woodstock 99? That looked pretty tight. By the way, someone, I, I'm going to watch that documentary, I think, when I get done with you tonight, because uh, my friend Mike Gall, shout out to Mike Gall, I did a really cool event with him uh, today, but he was like, dude, you got to watch this documentary, and you were telling me how good it you is, I got to check it out. You do have to watch that, yeah. Woodstock 99, everyone. HBO, All right. HBO Max. Yeah, I, I just logged into it earlier, because I was watching Dirty Work on there. Norm McDonald, shout out. Uh, this one, number 16, Beyonce featuring Jay-Z, Crazy in Love. It's a banger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd have it in the top 20 songs. What, time, year? what year was that? That came out in 2003. <sighs> uh, yeah. Uh, he has a great verse on that. I don't know. People who like Beyonce love Beyonce <laughs> and like love that song. I think that that was in my wedding list. And I think that my wife put it there. That I like that song. That's my, maybe my favorite Beyonce song. And I don't, I I think Beyonce is wildly overrated. Um, and people, not the one with Sean Paul, Sean Paul. Oh, you're not allowed. You, dude, they'll take you right over. He's kidding everybody. Yeah. I had sorry. no part. I had no part in. You want to get out of the shot. I am not in the K hive, like assassination scope or the Look, beehive. She's great, sorry, but, uh, the K hive is uh, Congo, like Rihanna, beehive. Yeah. The beehive. All right. Number 15, the Beatles. I want to hold your hand. Great that's, song. It was their first number one. That's their first number one. So there's, that's why I think it's more the influence of it that put it so high. Yeah, it's like without that song, who knows if there's Imagine or the other ones that are coming up. Also, apparently in 1963, the, the Beatles gave themselves an ultimatum. We're not going to America till we've got a number one record, Paul McCartney declared. So he and yeah. John went to the home of the, the parents of John Asher McCartney's girlfriend at the time. And they said they were like eyeball to eyeballs. Lennon later put it and they wrote, I want to hold your hand, you know, and it's, it's a good tune. It's a, it's very early sixties pop rock and roll type thing. And obviously there's an innuendo there because nobody wants to just hold someone's hand, but you know, in 1964, you couldn't write, I want to finger bang on the bus. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta be more discreet. I want a finger bang on the bus. My grandfather one time wrote a song about the Cedar Rapids River, the Cedar River called I Want to Hold My Nose. Because <laughs> Quaker, Quaker Oats makes it stink real bad in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. You, Joe, you know. I know. I've been to Cedar Rapids many times, and it's, uh, it's a nice town with a lot of weird smells. Going to number 14, we've got the Kinks, Waterloo Sunset. Do I know that song? I feel like I know it. I know. I, 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 I know the, the Kinks. Right to play these songs. Uh, the Kinks was like, uh, you really got me. Is the Kinks right? But yes, and I'm surprised that's and not Lola there. Lola is the Kinks. Waterloo Sunset. I got nothing, and it's what better than I want to hold your hand? Are you fucking kidding me? It's not. Uh, is it? Uh, is it a sponsored ad? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> Number thirteen, the Rolling Stones. Give me shelter. That's a okay. good tune. Yeah, that's a great song. It's a great song. So I'm is, okay that their is that their highest song? Tell me it's not. It is. That's that's what's con the conundrum about Where's this. Satisfaction? Where's Satisfaction? I would even put Paint It Black as a higher song than um, Give Me Shelter. That's just me wow. personally, though. Or the one that Scorsese uses in all his movies. Uh, sh just a just shot a away. Just a shot away? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, number 12 is Stevie Wonder Superstition. It's a good tune. Yeah. Very it's sweet. not my it's not my favorite. I like a Sir Duke. I like uh you know, I like the dumb ones. I like I just called to say I love you. I like happy birthday. <laughs> no, hey, I mean, that's a good tune. When you when you when half of your family is black, you get the white happy birthday and the Stevie happy birthday on your birthday. Nice. Sweet perk. All right. <laughs> number 11. This one I like actually. I'm I'm okay with the ranking on this song. It's the Beach Boys. God only knows. Oh my God! I mean, yeah, it's yes. That should be higher. That should be. I almost feel like that should be higher in a sense. That's an amazingly. That's such a uh, complex song. Yeah, uh, Brian Wilson really was a genius in a lot of ways. It's it's an it's an emotional song, right? You know. Yeah. Um, that song is yeah. The Beach Boys. I saw the Beach Boys at Hollywood Bowl, and the whole time I was I was fucking shit faced. And it was like old people just sitting in their chairs and not getting up and shit. And I kept screaming at them, like, what are you doing? They have nothing but hits. I kept yelling, nothing but hits. And they, you know. They were another band, too, like the Beatles in a sense, where, like, you know, the Beatles start off with songs like I Want to Hold Your Hand, which, again, are great songs. Beach Boys started off with, like, Surfing USA or something like that. And then they, the progression of, like, where they went with, like, Pet Sounds and they went into this like using whole orchestras and just the complex melody. You know, I mean, they're both very, very cool. I kind of like that. You know, every now and then there's a band you like where all of a sudden they have an album that's not like their other stuff. And you're like, God, this sucks. Those bands, <laughs> they got better as they went and they challenged themselves. So I really, I like that kind of. Uh, that sounds with shots fired to the Beatles. The Beatles were like, oh, a word? Like. Like they put that out, and the Beatles were like, "Oh, well, we're not the greatest band in the world anymore, unless we c- c- fucking come back hard." And then they came back with uh, Sgt. Pepper and Revolver, and we're like, "Sorry, we're number ones." But, and then the White Album is pretty badass. Too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all amazing. <laughs> they're all good. Magical Mystery Tour probably got some good ones. You know, yeah, there's yeah. some hits on that album too. It's crazy about the Beatles is like as they got a little <laughs> bit later, and they were all still like their late twenties. They weren't even old because they just put out so many albums in such a short period of time. But I, it would if the Beatles were an American band in like today's time. You know how bands will talk a little trash. They'd be like, "Oh, by the way, this this dude, the quiet one." Turns out he could write some songs too. I also love. I also love. It's like, did you hear about my friend George? It's really sad. He got into drugs pretty bad. And, and what happened? He wrote uh, five albums worth of awesome shit that changed the world. Yeah, he wrote. Here comes the sun. <laughs> something while my guitar gently weeps. Like while my guitar gently weeps. By the way, is the greatest solo by Prince ever on that tribute to him. You ever yeah. see that? They did a, like when George Harrison died, they did a concert for George and they did this amazing version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps with like some of the greatest guitar players ever on there. Clapton's on the stage, Tom Petty's on the stage, well, like all these old plays, blues guys. Clapton's the guitar player in the, the, the song. Yeah, true. Paul McCartney said in that documentary, he goes, George could have done it, but you know, he's friends with Eric. So he had Eric come on out, you know, which again, it's kind of like Tom Segura. We were talking about him in the beginning, help a famous friend helping another, not as famous, although later became more famous and ended up marrying his ex-wife. So those dudes shared too much stuff, really. Um, someone brought up Patty Boyd has two of the greatest love songs in history written about her. Something by George Harrison hmm. and uh, Layla by Eric Clapton. Wow, so he got her 
He's, she's got him on his knees and something in the way she moves. Yeah. And she really fucked. She must have had the best pussy ever. What do you dude. think it was? What do you think she did? She put her finger in his butt? What do you think she did? Maybe she was the pioneer for that. You know how it's like commonplace now? She was doing it first. She was the first person to slip a digit. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what she did. Well, it was something. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, but that's so amazing about the Beatles is that later George started writing songs and they were happened to also be phenomenal tunes. But I was gonna say Prince was on that stage for that great, you know, uh like tribute song that they did of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and Prince came out and did his solo and all these other phenomenal musicians even the ones like some of the musicians on the stage where i'm like who the fuck is they i looked them up and i'm like oh they're like one of the greatest session guitarists ever like just like these inma- insane people and all of them were looking at prince like what the fuck is this guy up to like that's how much prince was dominating on that stage it was incredible I, right, I, looked it, I, I looked it up while you were talking and um she was the first woman i guess to use her hand and mouth at the same time Ah. Uh. She, she, she did a little mind the stepchildren, as they say. She did a little, little half and half. Very good. Very good. Number 10, Outcast Hey Ya. I love the song. A little surprised it, it's number 10, though. <sighs> I wonder why it, it is so high. I mean, that was that was a big hit. Yeah, it was that the was year I graduated high school. It was one of those crazy things where I think that everybody admitted it was good. Yes, universally liked. Even people who are probably like, I'm a tough guy who likes speed metal is probably like, oh, yeah, that's a good tune. You could turn it up. You know, it was it's a also, fun song to dance to. Weddings, it's a hit. It was also a rapper being fucking weird as hell and everybody being like, I guess. Very true. Polaroid had to come out and be like, please don't shake the photos. It is not good. I'm sure it helped Polaroid pictures, though. Yeah. Um, here's when I read this track, I'm going to number nine now. I immediately then question the entire list because I know that this is what is called recency bias, okay. right? Because yeah. number nine is Fleetwood Mac dreams. Oh. Now I'm a bit, I love Fleetwood Mac. I have this album on vinyl rumors. Yeah. Dreams is not the best song on the album. What is the best song on the album? To me, I like the chain. The chain's my favorite song. Um, even landslide. I like better than dreams. Dreams is amazing. But remember everyone last summer, summer of 2020, this dude had a TikTok video of him drinking cranberry juice out of the bottle, skateboarding while singing dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And it blew up and everyone's doing their rendition of it and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's why this song is number nine. Hypothetically. I met that guy recently. Uh, What's his name? Dog face or something. Yeah, I can't. I can't confirm it, but it's possible that I may know someone who met him recently. Very cool. Yeah. You can't confirm nor deny. I'm realizing I, know I don't him. know if I can say if I met somebody or not. I don't know. Well, well my buddy CJ Teledano, everyone who's been on this podcast, when he was working for House of Highlights, he actually used it to start his own company now called Follow Through LA in which he does like uh, like ad campaigns for shoe companies. He's working with... Uh, bleacher report right now and other such stuff anyway he did he like creates like viral ads and stuff like that and the one was when the lakers won the nba finals against the heat in 2020 they had that exact dude they got they got a hold of him and they Mm -hmm. got him to film himself with a laker jersey on i think they sent him a laker jersey i don't even know if he had one and he's you know reenacting the same thing but like champagne right yeah doing drinking champagne because the lakers just won 
And I'm like, that's a genius idea. And I'm glad you got to pull off that video. So uh, he met. I saw that one before I saw the other one. Oh, so you saw that and you didn't know that that was him parodying himself, essentially. Yeah, it makes me wonder if Dreams, if that hadn't happened, if Dreams would even be that high. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a great obviously song. Obviously, they were huge. Fleetwood Mac was fucking huge. But Oh, huge. Yeah. Rumors, but, especially, is considered an all-time album. Uh, number eight is Missy Elliott, Get Your Freak On. That surprises the shit out of me. Very surprising to me. What does um, it say? Can you say what it says? It says, like, all right, here we go. They got, you know, a few paragraphs on there, so I can't really read the whole thing. Don't get me wrong. That song, banger. If that song comes on, I'm happy. I love it. I love the video. Everything about that is great. But I believe I looked at the list earlier and like, uh, I can't stand the ra- Like that song, Super Duper Fly, is like in the 400s, the high 400s. Why is this song top 10? I like, what's the one, uh, bang down, flip it, and reverse it? Like, yeah, you never, 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 never nap enough. Yeah, I don't know. Here's the, what they, I think they're trying to push the influence of the song. They go, it was something hypnotic about those records. Missy and Tim took over the radio in the late 90s, just two kids out of Portsmouth, Virginia, or Portsmouth, Virginia, blowing minds with their unique space funk. So uh, it was Missy Elliott and Timberland, and uh, that's who Tim is. They call him Tim for short, even though Timberland is whatever. I heard Tim right away. I'm like, who the hell is Tim? I had to look up, and I saw Timberland as a co-creator or co-writer. Um they're, they're trying to call it like a space funk sound and all this stuff. So I think they're kind of leaning into like, oh, it was pretty, you know, nobody else was doing anything like that at the time. And here's it another was, quote. Yeah, it was unique. It was unique. Yeah. It's like everyone who heard it loved it. It had this, it had some Japanese stuff mixed with a hip hop beat. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So I think they're kind of pushing the influence of that track in particular, I guess. Number seven is the Beatles Strawberry Fields Forever. Um, writers Lennon and McCartney. I'm shocked by this one. It's because that's yeah, their highest song. It's the highest song by the Beatles, number seven, which is, and it's this one. You don't have yesterday in your top 10. Ooh. You, you know what I mean? You don't like, I, I'm just a little shocked that hey Jude? I thought Hey Jude would probably make the top 20, perhaps. Um, yesterday is, what's considered the Beatles' best song? Yesterday? Well, yesterday is the most covered song in recording music history like that's got to say something right there it should um yesterday is just such a beautifully written song um yeah there's not a whole lot of music behind it really i think it's just paul plucking at some strings um strawberry fields is beautiful it's not on an album as we were saying earlier i do like ben harper's version better than the beatles it's the only beatles cover besides joe cocker's that i like more than the actual beatles song yeah yeah you know joe cocker's version of uh, a little help with my friends is better than the beatles it i'll is. say that yeah i mean they wrote it though i remember hearing paul in an interview going ringo was so popular we like to give ringo one song an album and you know we wrote songs with less vocal range for ringo like he's like i'm not saying that as a knock on ringo love ringo of course but you know just being honest like you know yellow submarine and little help of my friends they're very like there's not a lot of vocal range a guy who can't sing like me could kind of sing along and not be too embarrassed by it but yeah i don't know the beatles what's cons- like but i'm thinking like my life by the beatles or i'm thinking of like Ooh. even like come together or mm. or you know help and hard day's night and i mean those are some oh, of the right. earlier songs but going later years you know like you yeah, know uh, let it be you'd think would be higher Ooh. on the list yeah man all good songs here comes All the great sun. Song. 
something. Damn. I mean, they had 27 number one hit singles. So, yeah. What is the reasoning behind Strawberry Fields? What is What are they saying there? All right, let's hear what it says. Um, let's see if I could skim to... It opened up a whole new psychedelic era for the Beatles. See, I think a lot of this is what they're influencing it with. Changing the way pop music was heard and made after this song came out. But it began with uh, Lennon alone on a Spanish beach with an acoustic guitar writing a song about his painful childhood memory. Strawberry Field was the name of a Liverpool orphanage where he used to play and hide from the world as a boy. And he's like, I have versions, uh, visions of Strawberry Fields, he told Rolling Stone in 1968, because Strawberry Fields is anywhere you want to go. It is a psychedelic-ish song, you know what I mean? Um, Here's how crazy the Beatles are. That is not on an album. I know. I know it's, it's just like I'm still wrapping my head around it. Dude, you know what else is not on an album? All You Need Is Love, I'm pretty sure, is not on an album. It's crazy. And the, like in that Rick Rubin thing, he's like, that's how cocky we were. We were like, we don't need the single to sell it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. There was a great story about the Beatles, too, where, um, you know, they had some song. Maybe Hey Jude was a little, running a little bit long or some other song was running a little long. And they're like, they're not going to play this song. It runs too long on the radio. And John goes, they'll fucking play it. We're the Beatles. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. I did. I did love that. Uh, McCartney's like now later in life is having this moment that he's like in the moment it was just my friend John like but now I look back and I'm like it's John fucking Lennon yeah you know? he's realizing like holy shit like that's who I was with the whole time yeah I enjoyed the hell out of that documentary we're talking about it's, it's on Hulu everyone called McCartney 321 where famous one of the most famous record producers of all time Rick Rubin is interviewing Paul McCartney they're going track by track and they're playing with this big crazy board where they could isolate the vocals and isolate the bass and really just point out stuff where you're like oh my god I didn't even realize that's why I like this song so much like the song um uh all my lovin which is an early Beatles hit uh paul goes you hear that that's john john did this thing uh, doing harmony where he decided to start doing this and when, I, and when he was playing with him i remember going oh that's amazing and then he goes try doing that for three and a half minutes like this crazy like like i can't I'm like, listen to the song everybody but like they isolate it and you're like fuck that seems so simple but holy shit that yeah, yeah, makes yeah. the song without that this song is not the song and um the one thing is though you're, what you're saying about paul realizing it's John Lennon, you know, like there were some cool parts to that, but then <laughs> he had one part where he's like, Oh, yeah, we were doing a lot of LSD during this period. And then he'd be like, I remember this one time. I'm like, Do you remember this one time? You just talked about how much massive amounts of drugs you all were taking, and you're remembering every single detail. Part of me is questioning how exact he was because there was a few things he had said where I later looked it up and and I'm like, that's not how the original story was. Like, or something oh, I'd read about. Funny. And I'm like, also, when's long. the last time Paul McCartney's ever said anything where somebody's going, No, you fucking didn't? Never. Like, Nobody's ever going to challenge no that. No one's told him anything like that since 1963. <laughs> that's true. What an amazing life to have to be in that kind of position. I love it, though, that he gets to sit back and appreciate some of the shit like, that he's done. And it's like the, that story I heard about like Pete Townsend, I want to say. Like Baba O'Reilly came on the radio and he was just like, God damn, I fucking wrote that shit. And I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Dude, you get to do that. I love that. I love when artists of any kind, comedians, actors, writers, whatever, musicians, of course, too, that's what we're talking about. And they know, oh no, that's great. Like they're like into it. Someone told me a great story of 
And I've seen this booth or this suite being shown on TV. So when the Cubs play the Dodgers, it's always a lot of celebrities, you mm. know, when it's in LA. And apparently Conan O'Brien usually gets a like a suite for that. And in the suite was Jack White, you know, the white stripes. Yeah. And if you, anyone who's ever been to a Dodger game knows they play uh, Seven Nation Army where they kind of like play off the music video to that song where they got like the L.A. logo and they're kind of like zooming in like the way that music video does with like a triangle or whatever they're doing. Um, and the song came on and Conan says to Jack White, like, oh, is this kind of weird for you? Or are you a little bit like eh, this song again? And he goes, are you kidding me? This is amazing. I love this shit. <laughs> why, why would I ever get sick of 50,000 people singing along to something I wrote? Like, and it's not even me singing it right now. It's a recording of me singing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I thought I'm like, good for him. That's so cool. Instead of being one of those, like, uh, yeah, I don't really like it. You know what I mean? He was like, this is great. Why wouldn't I love this? But also, what is that question? Hey, don't you hate this? Why would someone fucking hate it? Yeah, I don't know if he asked if he hated it or if he thought it was weird or does this make you feel weird? Like, you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Why would you hate that? I wouldn't even want to ask that because if the answer was, yeah, this makes me uncomfortable, I'd be like, get the fuck out of my suite. You know? <laughs> like, take that shit to the I fucking grand. See this? All these people. I hate each and every one of them. Yeah. And I hope the Dodgers lose. <laughs> Actually, that part I think I'd be cool if he said. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, Dodgers fan. fans. Number six, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, 1971, written by Marvin Gaye, Ronaldo Benson, and Al Cleveland. I'm a big fan of this song. It's a it's a cool groove, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm cool with this being number six. No yeah. no argument here. Number five, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit, writer Kurt Cobain. I'm also, this song should be top five. It's not my favorite Nirvana song anymore. No, but, but you I know what it did. You know what I, it did. It redefined the sound of music. It really changed so much. Um, and it is highly influential. And Now, what is your favorite Nirvana song? Dude, it changes with the mood. People ask me this a lot. Um all apologies. All apologies is such a great song. Um, All apologies you know, is a better song than "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and like fucking "In Bloom" is better than "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah, I love the drums on "In Bloom." "Come As You Are" is better than "Come As You Are." By the way, next time you're in your car, play that shit loud as fuck. And you're, you'll thank me because I listened right. to that song for the first time in a while, like not that long ago, a few months ago. And I played it and I played it loud. And then that boom, 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 boom. Like when it gets to that part, uh, goosebumps. Lithium is a better song than Smells Like Teen Spirit. Lithium might be my favorite Nirvana song. I love a lot of off of In Utero. Dumb is an amazing track. Um, Serve the Servants is really cool. Uh, what else? You want to play like some of them? Play, ter- play Territorial Pissings loud in your car. Territorial Pissings. I've never been a big fan of the first 10 seconds because it's because it's it's the basis. Chris Novoselic being all silly singing like, come on, people now, like, you yeah. know, but if you start that song at 10 seconds in, yeah, yeah, yeah. it 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 fucking plays hard. And seeing that documentary at Arclight and the, the big, you know, movie theater sound system was like goosebumps because the documentary montage of heck that's also on HBO. If you have HBO Max, you could watch it. You uh, saw that in the Arclight Dome? Yeah, I saw it opening day because it only premiered in theaters in LA, New York, and Seattle. And I went with uh, Gareth Reynolds, and then I went another time with Joe Cozzala. I saw it twice opening weekend. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I should have went with you, man, because you're like, when I think of my biggest Nirvana fan friends, it's you, Reynolds, and uh, Joe Cozzala. My buddy Michael Pecco. Good, uh, good company. Very good company. All right. Number four, Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone. Yeah. They always have to have Bob Dylan on every list, like 
top two, three, four. Bob is, yeah. I mean, the restaurant, the restaurant, the magazine is named after it. Yeah, they're, <laughs> that's true. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I like this song. Is this Bob Dylan's best song though? Times are changing. Um, I like the band's version of when I paint my masterpiece. Yeah, I don't. I look. Bob Dylan obviously is a great the hurricane. Song. The hurricane, I think, I might like the best by Bob Dylan. The twenty-five but, minute song about the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> you ever think to yourself, his son Jacob Dylan has a One ten times better voice? Yeah. Well, you could have Bob uh, song writing with his son's voice. Auto tune. You know, it was they're doing auto tune in the mid nineties, probably. Yeah, but T Pain's the first guy to fucking put it on those dumb settings. It was always subtle. Like they made it real subtle. Like if you're off pitch or if you're off key, or whatever, they would go tick tick, and they would just fix it. He was the first person to make it. Like it's in that it's in the Netflix documentary. I don't know what I'm talking about. So T Pain did where that over the top voice sound that when you think of auto tune, you're thinking of T Pain, who's like, I want something to differentiate how my voice sounds. So he took existing software and cranked the fuck out of the vocal thing to make it sound uh like robotic like that yeah i mean i always knew they did subtle autotune with certain things but um i don't know i, I thought i heard a, a live version of one of maybe he does songs. maybe he maybe he does i mean that one headlight song is a is a banger it but is if that was, but if that was like number three i'd be like i don't know no i would never have it that high but my point is that like i just think about bob dylan as a songwriter because i his voice is good for his songs Mm. But it's just not a very strong voice. Where I, was I think everybody was in, everybody was in agreement that it was a bad voice, and like that's what Jimi Hendrix was like. Oh, I can sing my own shit. Yeah, if that guy can, but it works. Some some voices though just work for the song and work for what that's it is, true. and that I'm is okay true. with that. You that know, is true. I'm okay a, with it. A lot of punk songs, the guy can't sing for shit. Yeah, I mean, Jimi Hendrix even was it Jimi Hendrix who said rock and roll ain't supposed to sound pretty. Um. I liked Hendrix's voice, though. I thought it had a cool... I don't know if it's technically sound or whatever, but I know when I hear it, I like what I'm hearing. Um, Man, when they... did, I watched that Mets thing uh, yesterday. I'm going to watch the, the, the rest of it after we're done here. And uh, when they played Voodoo Child over the footage of the 69 World Series, that's Boner City for me. That is one of my favorite opening riffs for any song. Yeah. Hogan. That's the, that's the Hulk Hogan. Entrance. Hulk Hogan coming out. That's his third classic entrance after eye of the tiger, real American. All right, let's close out strong here. Sam cook. A change is going to come. Wonderful song. Best voice of all time. Yeah. He's up there. It is a very up there. He's got the greatest voice ever. Is it the greatest voice of all time? I mean, I'm not yes. going to say yes, definitively one way or another, but it is a, it is a great voice. You're right. I don't know. Got I gotta, I gotta really think. Mike you Burns turned, Mike Burns turned me on to bring it all home to me. The live version from something. It's like he could be singing for Van Halen for an R&B group, or he could be at church, and it fits with each thing. He's so fucking good. He's got the greatest singing voice of all time. All right, I'll take your word for it, because I haven't heard the live thing you heard, but I I'm, I know I like his voice. I'm just, whenever I hear someone say, this is the best ever, I always have to be like, is it? But you're probably Well, right. I know who number one is, and she's she can fucking sing too, <laughs> but male, male vocal. 
Yes, male vocal. Okay, public enemy, fight the power. This way has got to be for high. influential purposes, right? Way too high. What is way this? too high? Is this the 500 most influential songs or the 500 greatest? Because it's like, did okay. I read the freaking list wrong? No, no, no. It's, I read the same thing that you did. Greatest, it's greatest says. songs, right? In pu public enemy, they were great, but it's like, isn't nothing but a G thing a more influential song, or isn't isn't in the club by Fifty Cent a better song? Of course, <laughs> way fucking better. Isn't Stan by Eminem a better song? When we all say Stan, I stand for that now. Yeah, I mean, it created a slang word, but dude, I mean, yeah, I think this has got to be for influential reasons. It's got to be because it was one of the first big rap hit songs, right? Or it's also like a protest song, and it's like you know, fight the power. I mean, well, it Elvis, took inspiration. It started, most, but he never meant shit to me. He's straight up racist. This sucker was simple and plain, motherfucking man, John Wayne. Dude, you you know this song, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's got to be for influential reasons. Uh, and number one is I love this song. I didn't know who wrote it though. The song is Aretha Franklin. Respect. Do you know who wrote this song? Otis Redding. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I, I watched. I rented Respect, the Jennifer Hudson movie, and they show them making that it's so fucking awesome like they like and that um that album i think it's called like i've never loved a man the way i love you that whole album is fucking incredible yeah her voice is dynamite she really yeah. had some pipes so she really had some pipes yeah, so Otis Redding wrote it, but it is an Aretha Franklin song. This was like a little argument I got into with some people not that long ago about whose song it is. Is it the writers or the singers? And I'm like, well, I mean, if I think it's the singer. Joe Cocker and Ringo, whose song is it? That's Joe Cocker's fucking song. I think it's it's tough, though, because Otis Redding doesn't have a published version of that I know of. There might be a demo of him somewhere doing it. No, no, no. It's it's a, it was a song. You can hear that song. Does Otis Redding have a version of it on an album? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's yeah. It, it's like, um, I will always love you is a Dolly Parton song or. Yeah, but she didn't. Well, no, that's different though. Dolly Parton. There's a version of Dolly Parton that published it. Okay. Like, well, I, my point is like, um, in the movie it's on the radio and they're singing it in the house. And then she makes it her own by spelling the shit. Like he didn't spell it. Okay. Well, I didn't know. That's my question because like, God, I want to give a good example of this. Um, you know, there's some, there are some songwriters who write a song, someone else then, you know, uses it. It's a song for them and they're the songwriter. They get like writing royalties, but they don't have a version of that song published anywhere. Crazy so is a Willie Nelson song he gave to Patsy Cline. Yes, but is there a ver like you know? And I don't. I'm Prince not wrote Prince wrote nothing compares to you. Sinead O'Connor made it famous. Yeah, he but he wrote it and and was he, the only version of nothing compares to you that pr is out there is from a Prince demo. Like he never wrote it right. where it's like this is gonna be a Prince song and she's just covering it. No, he wrote it to give it to someone and Sinead O'Connor got it. Um, that's like my point. There's a difference there. If, okay, so in, if the you have to go song, back earlier, and when people did standards, like um, there's a in the in the 40s when in the big band era when there was like songs, like it whenever Bing Crosby did it, that became like the version. Let's say you know what I mean. I see. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Because there's a difference between 
you know, it's, it's a little help from my friends is a Beatles song that Joe Cocker covered, but did a better version of it. Becomes a, it becomes a Joe Cocker song. David Bowie did a man who sold the world, but Kirk Nirvana's version yeah. is better. So it's like a Nirvana song that I am in hundred percent agreement with you there, but there are some singer songwriters who write a song like Britney Spears didn't write toxic, no. but it's a Britney Spears song. It was my yes. point. I didn't yeah, know yeah. that Otis Redding had his own version of it. Yeah. I didn't know she was covering Otis Redding. Or yeah, you weren't alive. You weren't, you, weren't, you weren't alive in 1964 to know. Yeah, that was, well, I was asking. I didn't know if Otis yeah. Redding wrote a song for his friend, or if he had the song, and then she's like, "Oh, hey, can I cover that song, Otis?" You know what I mean? There's a difference. Is all I'm asking. I think she just put it out. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter. It sounds good. It sounds good, right? But she's There's like, nothing. I'm jealous of musicians. They get to do show. We can't. I can't cover a bridal joke. It's not fair. Yeah. But anyway, that list is pretty shit. I don't think that's. I mean, I feel, really okay. feel like. 20 What's through 11 was better than 10 through one. What's, I mean, no Oasis songs. Um, I mean, I see. love Oasis, but I'm sure they got, I bet Wonderwall's top a hundred. And that's not even my at... favorite Oasis song. That's not even close to my favorite Oasis song. It's not even their best song. What's your favorite song? By Oasis? What's your favorite song? Oh, ever? Shit. Um, Joe Kilgallen gets to write this list. Uh, I mean, are you putting... Um, you know, my life by Billy Joel on there. Are you putting uh, what are you putting on there? Like uh, so you know, greatest... there'll be a couple Billy Joel tracks on there for sure. <laughs> I know you like Billy Joel. I like Billy Joel. There'll be a lot of Nirvana on there. There'll be some White Stripes. There'll be a lot of Beatles. Um, I was thinking about this recently. Someone asked like four favorite bands. I go, yeah, my four favorite bands like rock and roll bands, Nirvana, Beatles. I'm no particular order. Nirvana, Beatles, White Stripes, Oasis. Um. But then I also like, uh, you know, like Metallica. I like um, Appetite for Destruction is one of the greatest albums of all time. I like um, I like some Pearl Jam stuff. I like, um, you know, there's probably so many bands I'm just completely blanking on right now. I was listening to Nine Inch Nails' first album recently. How ahead of its time was that album? So good. Yeah. Pretty Hate Machine. Such a yes. good album. Um, Head Like a Hole? Is that on that one? Yep. That was the big hit off that one. That came out in 1989. That song down, down in it, down in it. Yeah, I was like, at the bottom. Dun, dun. What is he down, saying? Down in it. I don't know. I don't even know half the words, but I think I think he was saying like. When I was a kid, I thought he said I, I was at the party house, and now I can't get that out of my head. Because he sounds like he goes, <laughs> he's like, going, I was at the party house, and like that's what I thought he was saying when I was like eight years old. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. As far as rap goes, I think you know Kanye. I love Jay Z, Eminem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Nas. Um, yeah, yeah. There's some good stuff there. Um, the soundtrack yeah, to the I'm musical the Hamilton. Um, I've not heard that, but I'm sure it's wonderful. Um, what other '90s bands are there? Smashing Pumpkins. I was a big Pumpkins Ooh, fan. They have a great version of Landslide. Also, they do, dude. Their first few albums were phenomenal. Gish, Siamese Dream, Melancholy. Cherub Rock. I'll, I'll throw on Cherub Rock every now and again. Disarm. It's got like a bell in it. My favorite song of all time is Get By by Talib Kweli. If you have time, it was Kanye West producing it, trying to make his own version, he says, of Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. He's like, he, oh, wanted, wow. an, he wanted an anthem, and he thought like Talib Kweli was the best rapper. So he was going to give him his... Bon Jovi song and it's wrong, but you know what? Sometimes when somebody that talented gets something wrong, 
you know, sometimes Led Zeppelin wants to play the blues in their like, but they are just dorks who like um, Lord of the Rings. And what they ended up doing was fucking way better than whatever they were probably trying to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, Zeppelin's a great all-time band. Yeah. Um, it was heartbroken when I found out that they stole a whole album. You know, plenty of people are yeah, inspired by. Sucks. Everyone's inspired by. Anyone that who's ever sucks. done anything in the history was inspired by someone who came before them. But to literally just lift entire tracks word so for word and note for note. Sucky. God, it, it sucks. sucks. I find that I, out. When they when they show you that, like I mean, Jimmy Page could still fucking rip though. Oh no, he's amazingly talented. John they're all Bonham? session musicians too. They're like a super band. John Bomb's one of the greatest drummers of all time. No, they're incredible. Um, what other great bands from there's so many bands from the 70s and 60s. The Stooges, I was a fan of. I got their first two albums on vinyl. Um Pixies, they're 80s. I don't know why I jumped a whole decade. Um, I saw Where's My Mind was like in the 400s, and I was like, that's not fucking rules. Like if he's like so sometimes like the 400s, you're like, huh. I gotta find. I got. I'll come up with the definitive. This is my favorite song of all time, but I don't know. A lot of like I used to say. I used to say "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Do you know why? Because that was the first song that introduced me to music that wasn't my this music I heard from my dad in the car. You know, really. So that opened my world. Or before that, no, that's not true. I well, I got into Nirvana in like 1996, 95, 96. It was after Kurt died. My best friend. His sister was like obsessed with that whole era of music. And then I, he played it on CD for me. And I remember being like, what the fuck is this? Like that song just opened so strong. And the only other music I knew before that was, you know, the Beatles and anything that was played in the car with my dad, which was like 60s and 70s music. And then, um, and then my babysitters played like Salt and Pepper and SWV or SWV. Yeah, Sisters with Voices. I thought I said SVU. Yeah, yeah, in my yeah. brain, I said SVU, which is Law and Order. But like in vogue, you know what I mean? They they that's what my babysitters listened to, like the early 90s RB hip hop. Uh, you know, not hip hop, that's more RB. And then some rap like Dre and Snoop I heard through my babysitters. But the first like music like where I'm like pretty cool babysitters. Yeah, they were they're mainstream. <laughs> you know, they play I like to move it, move it. I oh, like to move it. Well, that was a big hit at the time. But SWV, um, they sang that like, I get so weak in the knees, I can hardly speak, I lose all control. And so, you know that one? That should be, no, that should be up there. That, you know what? Well, let's find out where SWV is on this one. Um, but dude, thanks for helping me break down the list. It's always fun to talk to Mike <laughs> Bridenstine. Of course. Um, I do end the podcast doing five good ones, which in which I ask five questions. So... You ready for this shit? Yeah, maybe you switch up your endings on me. I uh, used to do. So let me say to you, fuck Mary Kill. Can I tell you I something? Up. Yeah, go ahead. Me and probably your listeners, definitely your listeners. But I just want to say personally, I'm happy you're back. Thank you, Mike, and thanks for being the second guest back. I appreciate it, man. And you um, are one of my most major influences when I decided to do my own thing. Well, thanks, Brido. I appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't. I I never stopped doing the podcast for those listening. When I took most of August off, I think I did one episode in August. Um, it was just I had to. I, I kind of gave an explanation on the podcast, to everyone, but just for you, my friend Brido, to hear directly from me, I have a problem where I say yes to so many things, and I kind of tend to bite off more than I could chew at times because I always believe that I can manage it all and get it all done. And then when you do that, you tend to run into a brick wall, 
but I think that's okay for that to happen because then you get to step back and then reset and then go, you know what, here's what I really need to focus on and everything else. You, you know, sometimes you, you got to cut the fat off that steak, you know? Well, I don't really appreciate how you can just step away from it and come back and be naturally better than I'll ever be if I work my hardest for the rest of my life. I don't appreciate that, but I am happy that you're back. And I think that you're very good at this. <laughs> All right, dude. Thank you for the kind words. I don't know if they're true words, but I appreciate them nevertheless. Or is it nonetheless? I don't know. I dropped out of college. Here we go. <laughs> Five good ones with okay. the host of Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Mike Bridenstine. Question number one, what has been your favorite moment in your comedy career right was now tom, right now or was it tom segura helping blow you up a little bit on instagram i think man okay so you got some good ones man i know it's a tough loaded question too i think uh the Eric phone Andre call show? the phone call when i got new faces i think oh you got montreal's just for laughs comedy festival that's a great I phone call i think because that was the thing that I wanted the most, I really fucking wanted it. And I got the phone call and that was like, at that moment in time, I thought this is it. You know, this is like the other stuff, like I'm probably jaded and I don't appreciate stuff as much. And I have to like, look back at how cool, like some of the stuff you named, like, of course, like I'm going to look back and be like, I took that for granted or like whatever. Um, but, but also like, I mean, fuck, being a Chicago comedian is, to me, being like one of those guys is probably, I wear that with more of a badge of honor than anything I've ever done. That's awesome. That's a really, it's a and cool I thing, man. And I fucking mean that shit. Like, I look at that group of dudes uh, and women. Um, we could be dudes. I, right. I just didn't want to. I know you wanted to clarify. I'm just giving you shit. Yeah, uh, and and think like I can't even fucking believe that I was a part of that. Yeah, it's a special crew of people, man. You came up with question number two. You're on death row. What's your last meal? I think I went barbecue. But man, if you had these fucking birria tacos, I know that Chicago does can't do Mexican food for shit. But man, we, we've got these, great Mexican food. LA's Mexican food, I'll admit, is better. San Diego's Mexican food is probably the best. But Chicago's pretty good, man. You don't think you've been too if I was gonna, I mean, if, change. If, if someone's like, you're dying tomorrow, you get Pequod's pizza. I'm not going to complain. Definitely. All right. So what So what type of tacos was that? I missed that part. Birria. I'm probably saying it wrong. I'm probably yeah. whiting it up, being white. But uh, yeah. All right. I, I, I look like I storm. Oh, man. Okay. So it's the stewed. It's stewed beef that they... And someone's going to be like, um, it's goat. I like the beef because I'm a fucking gringo. And so, you know, it's they, it's stewed beef. You put it like it's like juicy as fuck, man. And you can buy the consomme and dip that shit. And they sell the consomme and make, um, man, I got to send you some links of shit. But like it's a thing people have heard of. Uh, it's not like a new thing that was invented. It's just having like an Instagram moment in my dumb white ass had never heard of it and then tried it. And I honest to God grew up with like Taco Bell and like Carlos O'Kelly's or like whatever the equivalent of like the white people, Mexican food, like chimichangas. So I didn't really like the shit. 
you know, until I had this, and then this was like the first thing that I was like, holy fuck, I love this. You Mexican know? food is phenomenal. I go back and forth on what my favorite like food is, and Mexican is very always at near the top of the list. It really depends on my mood, I suppose, though, but it's phenomenal. All right, number three, favorite Disney movie of all time. <sighs> Not a Disney guy. Um, There's got to be one, though, that made a million fucking things. <laughs> sure. Uh, favorite uh, Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> all right. It's technically a Disney movie. Yeah. There you go. You could have said Avengers Endgame, I suppose, if you were going to go that way. I thought maybe you would have gone like back to childhood and said like, you know, the Robin Hood where everyone was a bear or something like that. I don't know. I never, for whatever reason, my mom was not like, I think that she said we couldn't go see. I don't even know. Maybe we just couldn't afford it. But never saw Disney movies growing up or anything. I So, yeah, I am like one of those kids that just doesn't have any of those references. I don't think I've ever seen The Lion King. It's pretty good, man. I I was watching with my kid a lot, but I would skip the scene when Mufasa dies because I thought he was too young to process that. Because I'd oh, watch right. him when he was like two. You know, I think I remember telling you this. I'm like, I'm his Mufasa. I don't want him seeing <laughs> me die and him trying to kill his uncle. Right? I don't want to feel that like, out there just as too little. I feel like I remember Aladdin being really fucking good. Aladdin was amazing. Robin Williams, he's great. Yeah, that was a good, yeah, really, yeah. really good movie. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll get into them later. And on is that the, she's like the hottest w one too. But, Jasmine uh, might be the yeah. hottest Disney princess. Pocahontas um, is pretty good though. Pocahontas, pretty hot. She's pre pretty hot for some reason because of Trump. When I hear the word Pocahontas, I think <laughs> are you allowed to say that? <laughs> Did you just say Pocahontas out loud? You're not you're, allowed to say that. You're talking about Elizabeth Warren, right? That's her actual name, so you can say Pocahontas. Her um, actual literal Pocahontas from the movie. Ariel from Little Mermaid would be an all-time hottie, but then you think about that smell. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty fishy. Pretty, you gotta... pretty scaly fishing. Yeah. All right. It smells, that, would, that would smell like who's it's and what's it's. Galore. Galore. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good tune. So you know Disney references. What are you talking about? You're, you're pointing a couple yeah, songs yeah, yeah. just now. I don't know why I said that. I think I panicked. I was like, I don't know anything. And then I was like, you need to think specific shit. Yeah. All right. Well, number four okay. is, because uh, you know, we're talking a lot of music this one. So this question seemed fitting to me. If you could play in any band, what band and why? Nirvana. Uh, what I instrument wonder, would you play? Whatever Pat Smear plays, get him out of here. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from. All of a sudden he's in the band. I'm like, what? It's not you. It's Chris and Kurt and, Dave and who's this guy? Yeah, they wanted to round out their sound because they were playing bigger arenas or bigger venues. So, so I would I'd be Pat Smear. He was in a punk rock band called The Germs. And that's well, true. that's that's the band, that's the instrument. But why? Why Nirvana? What about Nirvana? Says I want to be in that band. They were the first band that was mine. I felt like too young, so like I had older neighbors who were into Nine Inch Nails, who were into the Beastie Boys, who were into Alice in Chains. And I felt too young. The shit that I liked in elementary school was like Opposites Attract by Paula Abdul and like Wipeout by the Fat Boys and like Weird Al and shit. And I, every, all the kids like Guns N' Roses and it was too old for me. I didn't get what they were talking about. She's my cherry pie, wink, wink. And I was like, I don't get it. It's probably about a vagina. I don't understand. But Nirvana was the first band that I was entering like sixth grade and that shit came out and all the older kids 
all of their shit was completely rendered whack in one fucking wipeout fucking track by this band where it was like everything that you've ever heard was cool is fucking over with. Yeah. And I got to be on the ground floor when I'm 12 years old and be like, I'm in middle school. I'm hitting puberty. My life is terrible. This shit is for me. And that was it. And it's, and that band was like, one time me and Dwyer were talking about it, Matt Dwyer, friend of friend of ours, Matt Dwyer, how it was alpha music for beta males. And at that moment in my life, like you're not an alpha male when you're fucking 12. So it felt like aggressive shit that didn't scare me in the way that like Metallica's black album did at the same exact year. Like that, uh, like sleep, whatever, uh, enter Sandman video was scary, man. I but, guess for color really real scary. I got into Metallica, you know, later in my teens, so it wasn't that's a great tune. That's a great album, the black album. Same um, same year. 91 is a like but different year. times like Nirvana Nevermind came out I think September 24th of 1991 and I think that wow. black album was earlier like maybe February or March. So, yeah, yeah it was you right, in Iowa. Nirvana just had a way of like <laughs> It's like um, someone said something that was an interview with Kirk Cobain and they're like, do you think your generation's too apathetic? And he's like, <laughs> that was his answer was just like, a, like so he just funny. did a shrug, which he did. You knew he was doing it on purpose. Yeah. And then like, I don't know. He just kind of had that. I don't give a shit mentality. You know, we're coming full circle with how much we love Norm McDonald because he had a very much. I don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. That was and, peak Gen X, too. And yes. it felt it felt very much like there's a new generation and like metal was boomer like you know like my dad liked led zeppelin and all those guys in one way or another were just like kind of dick riding led zeppelin even guns and roses you know i mean yeah. every, all of you have singing a fucking falsetto like robert plant fuck off yeah no that's a good call i didn't even think about that that they're all trying to be robert plant holy shit all right final question if you weren't a comedian what profession would you be to try to stay not entertainment? Oh, I can't you could. just podcaster. Yeah. Sorry. <sighs> what would I, be? Um, I could be anything. Yeah. Anything. I mean, you could say like, you know, I just wanted you to go non-comedy related because you're in the world of comedy. So what world would you be in if it wasn't comedy? Retired, be- retired baseball player. <laughs> yeah, that's the dream job, right? I mean, I think about that a lot. Now, I know this can't possibly be my answer because it's like uh, dumb of me, but I think about that a lot. Like the thing that I wanted the most when I was like in elementary school, I'd be retired by now. Unless I'd be, I'd be, I'm like, I'm older than Albert Pujols. Wow. So is it weird when you're older than the oldest baseball player? What a weird moment. I'm younger than Tom Brady. I'm older than Albert Pujols. I hope Tom Brady plays forever. So we never top someone in a sport. Yeah, so what would I do? Um, I'd probably be in sales. That's what I did in Chicago. And who knows if I don't get Can I tell you what I see you doing? And I don't know if it's your cool background or whatever. For some reason, I see you opening up like a memorabilia type store, a type Ooh. of store like, remember that store yesterday's? It was like a little shack on Addison by Wrigley Field that kind yeah. of sold all sorts of cool shit. I just see you being that guy because you seem to have an eye for something that's cool. Uh, could I mention the... There is this, you can't mention the thing you were texting us about. 
Oh, go ahead. What is the it? painting? Brido oh. had a painting lying around his house that his wife was like, I just throw it away. And you were like, wait a minute. And it turns out it's worth a couple bucks. Yeah, couple that bucks was a, more than that. By the that way, was a crazy thing. Like, um, she got it kind of randomly from like a dude who's like, do you want this? And she had it up in her bathroom. It wasn't even like displayed like anywhere it was just like framed in the bathroom and then when we were moving we moved uh in february and she had it in the goodwill pile and i was like what is this where was this and she's like in my bathroom and i was like oh and uh i looked at the back of it and it had an autograph on the back of it that i didn't know what it was and it said 1964 and i was like what is this? Like maybe maybe we can get like you said a couple bucks for it. And so I like I made out like a an L and a M and I looked up like um modern artists and I got a list until I found the guy Lee Milliken and I googled where to see what art costs. Today was the auction. And can I, can, is it bragging if I tell you what it got for it? I didn't think you'd want to, but you can if you want to. Go for it, my man. I love a good reveal on a podcast. More than $5. How about it? I mean, we're going to get... I, I believe that art is taxed at 32%, somebody told me today. And, you know, there's going to be fees involved in it. Somebody also did touch-up, but I will say... I laughed my fucking ass off when I saw what that thing went for. It wasn't like changed my life, but it's like, I'm going to buy a couch. Obviously everyone <laughs> went for more than $5. He was kidding around a little bit there, but that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Every, uh, I think a memorabilia store would be great. I do have, I don't know. I have right here. That's a Hank Aaron autograph. I bought a book that had all the baseball players um, addresses and I sent away for that. This here yeah i just feel like i that's see you, andre dawson's autograph that's really cool i just see you running like a cool store like that for some reason so i think that'd be a good thing for you because even though you wouldn't in this hype, crazy hypothetical you don't go into comedy i yeah. still think you have that side of your brain where you're like oh i'm not working for this piece of shit the rest of my life either you know i, I like art i you know like uh i like a museum i you know like if there was like a if i found out i could work at cooperstown at the baseball but like I saw a fucking video of them showing Derek Jeter shit today. Jeter looked bored as fuck. Like I would have been in there being like, oh my God, I can't believe you're letting me touch Joe DiMaggio's glove. Oh my God. Like that's what I would love more than anything. to be. Well, I got to bring you to this club 400 because it's a Cubs museum. This man has a Cubs museum in his house. Oh, it's the most it incredible is thing ever. Yeah. That's where I showed you, you some pictures of it. Yeah. We're in the basement. It was voted like best man cave in America a couple of years ago by some magazine. Oh my God! I think he has I the saw... Avengers basement. Oh my God! Yeah, my former buddy... Cubs Ray Burris and Tim Stoddard were there as well. Yeah, I, uh, I recognize Ray Burris. So I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, my friend Ben Becky goes there sometimes. Uh, that's incredible. I didn't know that. That's where the, I didn't put that together in my head. Well, next guy... baseball season, Brido. We talked about this year, but we couldn't get the logistics down and didn't have enough time. Next summer, this is a little tease, everybody. Here's how we're going to end the podcast. Brido is going to do, he's going to fly from LA to Chicago. Me yeah. and him are going to do a show in Chicago. 
We're right. going to go to the Cubs game because he's yeah. been to Wrigley in a very long time. That's true. So we're going to go to a Cubs game. Then we're going to get in my ride and yeah. we're going to drive and do shows in Eastern Iowa and I maybe like it. other t- another city nearby. Maybe we'll do a little tri-state tour. Um, just can, I, the can I record an album at CYSK? Yeah. If not, I'll do it at the Lodge. I don't give a shit. I just want Either to- one's a good choice. Yeah. I like the Lodge's new space so much, by the way. The Lincoln Lodge, everyone's comedy club in Chicago. They've got a new venue that they've been with for like maybe about a year now, but it was, you know, with the pandemic, everything was Why closed. Why did I ask you that on the air? So like, good. You can, like you can say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. I got to talk to the people. <laughs> I don't know why I said yes, like I could hold the neck and make that decision. Yes. Yes. I talk to some people. Yes, you can. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounded cool to say yes instantly. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, not a binding contract, of course, everybody. All guests of the Joe Kilgallen podcast get to record their album at my uh, venue I help run called yeah. Community You Should Know, Timothy O'Toole, downtown Chicago. Yeah, yeah. All right, Brido, tell them where to find Honk and where they could listen to all your other good shit. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, I would do a show called Honk with Mike Bryan. So like Joe was saying, it's a panel of comics. We're talking about the news and do like other dumb shit. Joe does it a lot. I wish he did it more. He's been busy. Uh, there's also, I'm doing the Chicago comedy history bonus shows on the Patreon. Joe is doing that tomorrow. I've done like almost 40 of those. I'm doing an oral history of the Chicago comedy scene from when the alt scene starts in 96 to about 2008. Um, and I also do world series reviews on my Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Brido, B-R-I-D-O, right. Uh, talk about baseball, talk about comedy chicago stuff um hopefully uh fans of this show would like some of it i'm sure they'd like a lot of it because it's really good stuff especially the history of chicago stuff you've had cal canane on you've had nick vatterat on you've had so many big names on Pete Holmes so. pretty soon is i'm dropping that one pretty soon have you had hannibal on yet i had him on my regular show but not for one of these uh, cool cool so yeah i mean some really big names there some of the best comedians in the world well that's been the podcast everybody thank you for listening to joe kilgallen podcast you can pe- check out the patreon patreon.com slash joe kilgallen please subscribe to the youtube channel it really helps me i love you guys and as always cheers <laughs>